Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hello everyone and welcome to episode one of this new podcast series, Real History. Uh, We're going to start off, as we said last time, what's going to happen is that one of us is going to propose to the other about a film that uh, we're interested in. We're going to have a discussion about that. We're going to look at it as a historical, um, for historical accuracy, and we're going to look at it as a film and how it works as a film. So we're going to start with something a bit non-standard, I would say, that Wolf is going to present. Wolf, over to you. Thank you, David. Uh, I came up today with proposing to you, David, a film that I know you hadn't seen, a film you potentially wouldn't like, because I know you don't like true crime, uh, and a film that was definitely non-traditional in terms of the history genre, as you would generally categorise it. So, Zodiac, made by David Fincher in the late 2000s. Can I just interrupt very briefly? Can I just say that we specifically said we would not do real crime when we initially had our first discussion? That's fine, you just carry on. You just carry right on. Let's agree to disagree. (laughs) So, tell me, Wolf, why are you bringing this film? I've selected Zodiac because it's a film that I can never really quite escape from. Uh, A film that I'm still evaluating every time I view it, trying to decide how I feel about it as a film, uh, whilst also being deeply intrigued and interested by the subject matter, specifically how it's presented in this film. Mm -hmm. David Fincher has made one of my favourite films ever, which is Seven, which is a very, very different serial killer movie. I am not an obsessive serial killer person, just to be clear. I love that movie, by the way, Seven. And this one was completely... It was horrifying. I mean, it takes the head out of the box. We've never seen anything like that. Anyway, we're not talking about Seven. That's a huge spoiler, but we'll move on. Oh, (laughs) ah! This one was completely different in every possible sense, and I would even go so far as to argue that it isn't really a serial killer movie. Mm -hmm. The serial killer is simply what's driving the story, but this film is about obsession. This film is about becoming deeply involved in a mystery, uh, an investigation that you can't solve, and it consuming your life. The tagline is, there is more than one way to lose your life to a killer. Oh, interesting. When I think about this film, the first few times I watched it, I was coming at it from, how do I solve the Zodiac crime? 
for anyone who doesn't know, the Zodiac was a serial killer who was never, ever caught. They've never actually charged anyone officially. The investigation is essentially on hold, and whenever they do carry out tests nowadays, it still doesn't really produce an answer. When I think about those unsolved crimes, they still grab us. Jack the Ripper, the Black Dahlia murder, etc. These ones that we can never solve. There's no explanation or answer for what's happened. And what's doubly haunting about this is how actively he communicated with the public, with the newspapers, with the police. That was one of the amazing things that we talked about later about historical accuracy was they have a television phone-in thing, don't they? And would that ever happen today? Could you imagine that? Did that actually happen? It did. It did. Uh, I had, you can watch footage of up. it on YouTube. No. Can you? Yes. Excuse us for a second, listener. Just going to go and look at YouTube. But I should explain, it was then proven to be a hoax. <gasps> Seriously? The person calling in was proven to oh, be right. a different person who was not the actual right. Zodiac. Okay, sorry, I interrupted you. You were telling us about the film, why it's great. So it's got a great cast, hasn't it, as well, I would have said. Or is that not one of the motivations? It, it's it's perfect. David Fincher is an, is an incredible director. He brings a sense of style to this film, which is evident throughout. The atmosphere, the lighting, the cinematography is brilliant. Then you've got Mark Ruffalo, Robert Downey Jr. and Jake Gyllenhaal, all doing great performances. It is a, it's a debate that goes on within me of which is the best performance of the three. Right. And I would always come back with a different answer each time I watch it. So I would be intrigued to know what you think. Um, Two of them are two of the most beautiful blokes in the world, aren't they? Mark Ruffalo and Jake Gyllenhaal, should I be saying this? Maybe we'll edit edit this out. Keep going. Pardon me. The 50-minute podcast. I was just being trivial there and superficial and shallow while you were being deep. Sorry. (laughs) No, I I completely agree. They're, They're three actors at the top of their game, and they're all playing really different roles. And some of them are slightly against character. Robert Downey Jr. probably the least, but he's still... A little bit more interesting than he is in something, let's say, Iron Man, even though he can come across as a similar type. Ego. Jake Gyllenhaal is really nerdy, really unusual. He does. He unsettles people, he's creepy, and not Nightcrawler creepy, but he is coming in and he, he, he's, he's really bizarre, and he's not playing like a dashing leading man in this movie at all. Relationships crumble around him, and you can tell that he is not living a great life. Mark Ruffalo is quiet, mild-mannered, troubled, um, and it doesn't take very long for you to realise that all three of these characters are having a terrible time Mm. throughout this story. There is no glamour in this film. The only glamour, if it does exist, is in the setting of San Francisco. Mm. There is a certain admiration for the world and the city that they're in. I selected this film because it's recent, Mm. and I was intrigued to see how the history works when comparing when we're studying significantly older events hundreds of years ago and how we try to research sources for those stories and how we try to fact check them etc compare that to now when we have television footage we have um, first-hand accounts we have interviews with survivors we have interviews with the people involved the film is based off of the book written by Robert Graysmith who is the Jake Gyllenhaal character yes the the level of connection between the story and the film is unimaginable mm. compared to almost anything else we'll talk about during right, this series. Well, in the... Let's say you're talking about Braveheart, Ben-Hur, mm. any of those. Everybody making the film has no connection with the actual events. Right, yes. Generally. Mm. In this movie, the man who wrote the book, the man who was obsessed with the case, was... is the, is the single probably greatest reference point for the entire investigation. Mm. Um, it's his obsession that everybody else 
feeds off of. Uh, that worried me a little bit, actually, because I kept on thinking through it. Uh, my brother was watching it. He's over from San Francisco, as it happens, and he knew something about the film. He'd seen it before, and he said rather airily at some point, you know, that this thing that you're saying about the, the author was... And it, it worried me. Well, I thought to myself, well, am I seeing truth then? I'm Basically, I'm seeing something which is innately biased. It is. Um, but this, this, is the, this is the most fascinating thing about it. The film is bias. But when you are trying to solve something that is unsolved, is there not a natural temptation to listen to the seemingly one man who seems to have collected mm. the most evidence? If you want to solve something that's unsolvable, you go to the person who has read the most about it, who has looked into it the longest. This man's been studying this for 20, mm. 30, 40 years reading all the case files, supposedly, interviewing all the people, collecting all the evidence. If right. you have that wealth of knowledge, you would think that um, knowledge is power, like knowledge is what's going to lead you to solving the crime. But that's so very well, but that's... And I would agree with you for somebody who is you know, trying to be objective, but he's not, is he? You know, he's an obsessive. Um, he's a bit of a weirdo, and that must affect the accuracy or, uh, you know, the, the angle that the film takes, doesn't it? Well, he's a... Uh... Does David Fincher, you think, take up what Graysmith says? Is he, you know, does he follow him, or does he is he in opposition to Graysmith? I think you. I think that decision has to be made by everybody who watches the film. Right. Like that's that's a personal decision. He influenced the movie greatly. He was involved in the press circuit afterwards, right. doing all the interviews. Right. He definitely achieves a lot of fame from mm. his book, from the case, from the film. And many people have argued that some of his facts are incorrect and that he is essentially profiting from this. But it is also true that he, uh, his marriage broke down, that he didn't exactly gain a lot for a long period of time mm. by being involved in this. He definitely is an advisor on the film. Mm. He's present throughout. The right. film is based on his book. So he must like it, basically. He, must, he wasn't outraged enough to think you've ruined everything and you've, you know, you've perverted my vision because he stayed with it. So he must gen basically agree with it. He must. And the film definitely <clears throat> seems to target the person that he believes to be the true killer in the ending, which feels a little unusual. The yeah. film definitely uses a lot of his evidence, follows the story all the way through, backs up a lot of his ideas and presents them. But the film, I don't think, is trying to be a full documentation of everything that happened. Right. It's not a documentary. The film is it mm. follows these three characters, right. but it is following one character more than the others, and that's Jake Gyllenhaal. Can I, can I talk about that? Or is there a thought you need to finish well, before I get I just want to say, yeah. if you're making a film about yeah. obsession... And you're making a film about Robert Graysmith, yeah. a man who became obsessed with the Zodiac Killer. Then if you show him coming up with his ideas and you show him uh, suffering, struggling, none of these characters mm. like are having a good time. This is It damages them completely and it takes everything from a lot of them. And a number of them are broken by the end of it and mm. never recover. Their life has been taken. Yeah. I think that David Fincher probably knows to question Robert Graysmith right. as a source. Question him enough in terms of he doesn't show him in a positive light. No, I think that's certainly true. I must admit, you don't think, oh, this guy's a hero. Um, if only it wasn't. If only everybody had been like him, you know, there wouldn't have been a problem. So I agree. You know, he's certainly. And I would say maybe even like, with the exception of the last scene, the movie is about non-resolution. Mm. The movie is not here to mm. give you a definitive answer. It doesn't. It doesn't want to make it easy for the audience. Mm. The movie is complicated. The movie is confusing. It jumps around a lot. Yeah. It's full of confusing facts that go against each other. Yeah. And I think, from what I've read, from what I feel, what I've read, what I've researched, that David Fincher is trying to make a newspaper movie, mm. and he is trying to capture 
the feel of all of it. He's right. looking at the the workings of the human mind and how we deal with something like this. And he's studying that side of things. He's not interested in catching the killer. He's not interested right. in doing a police procedural. He's not interested in... What is a police procedural? Sorry, I'm interrupting again. I would say a police procedural is yeah. when you work through the case kind of from start to finish. Right. You're going through... It just it doesn't feel it like a lot fit, of things. It? It, it does do it a bit, yeah. and it definitely <clears> does, but I feel that it's doing it from the perspective of Robert Graysmith and right, the others. The, the characters rather than the... Um, the pres- yes, I can take the point. Yeah, I agree with you. So, when it, so for example, let, it doesn't have one of these scenes in it, but it's the exact... You know when you see somebody in a movie and they have a wall yeah. covered in pieces of paper and... Red yeah, string yes, running indeed. across. Yes. You don't actually care what's on the wall, right. where the string is connecting. Right. You... I've often thought of doing that for making myself a cup of tea in the morning, actually. <laughs> yes. It'd be really handy to have one of those little signs. Or I put trousers on before pants, that sort of thing. Anyway, carry on. Sorry. Thank you for this wonderful insight. <laughs> carry on. I just feel that what this movie is trying to show you is it's trying to f- show you the confusion and the clutter, yeah. and it's not there to give actually, you Actually, it does that very effectively. I mean, as you're talking, I'm liking the film more, which is slightly weird. The, the scene where he is, because this is the key one, a lot of people disagree with this, the scene where he is getting his children to go through and select each of the dates that a key thing occurred and check them with the lunar cycle, because he believes that it's possible that the lunar cycle has some connection with the killer's activity. I wouldn't say it's been debunked, but essentially nobody really believes in that theory. But in that scene, he's not showing it to you to make you think that the lunar cycle is the possible answer. He's showing it to you to show you that this is what he thought, and this is how obsessed he is. And when he's bringing his kids into it, that... That it He's just builds the various same. lines. It, com- it completes yeah. everything. It shows you exactly what's happening yeah. to him in his life. So, in theory, it's entirely possible that every single conclusion they come mm. to or bit of evidence they go to is wrong. So, if that's if they could be wrong in real life, in the movie they they could be completely wrong as well. And I think the movie embraces that, and that's why there are so okay. many suspects. There so are should, so many dead ends. Should I? Um, uh, so I watched this and, and not being a fan of true crime. So I say a couple of things that I yeah, thought were less go good ahead. about it. The first was as a you know as a non-convert to the true crime genre. Uh, for the first hour, I was pretty gripped because in the first hour, there's quite a lot of you know death, destruction, and tension, especially the lake scene. No plot spoilers, obviously, but the lake scene, listeners. Anyway, so that was great. And then there was um, another half an hour, and that was quite interesting because you know they were finding out. And then there was another half an hour, I was beginning to think about tea. And then by the end of two hours forty-two minutes, I was just about to open a vein. It's not that it was anything of the film was terrible, but it was just a little bit too much. And the reason for that, I mean, that's not a very good criticism because a film is as long as it needs to be, I suppose. But it seemed to me that there were different bits of this. And actually, the Robert Graysmith came as a bit left field in the end. Yes, you're right, it turned into a film about his obsession. But actually, it wasn't about him for the first two sections of the movie. It was more about the killings and Mark Ruffalo. And only in the end did he suddenly realise this guy was getting obsessed. And couldn't he have stitched that in a bit earlier? I mean, I know he's there. Anyway, sorry, I'm rabbiting. I think... So this is where it's interesting, because Robert Graysmith is not involved in the story mm. for the first few years. Yeah. Even if he's interested and even if he's doing this research, I think what... This is where... So it's even more complicated because I think there's a certain amount of... Um, everything's just too involved. Towards the end of the movie, his character is told, you need to write a book. The book that his character right. writes yes. is the book that the film is based on. It, when you think about it, yes, you it's realize, kind of like a Holbein picture, isn't it? Where you see the picture reflected in the mirror, and so kind of everything that the movie, the first hour and a half that you're mm. watching, is a movie adapted from mm. the book that his character writes. The fact that the investigation slowly mm. winds down and down and down, yes. and kind of carries on and has no definitive ending. I was there reading is no resolution. Yeah. 
I would just argue that it's a specific decision right. to make the movie feel a bit like that. Yeah, I mean, with my so with my heart, I hated that because I like a nice, happy ending. I like people to sing at the end, give each other a good kiss and go and eat a bun. Okay, that's what I like. But I am prepared to accept your point, actually, that it's much more... I think some reviewers described it as a mature movie, and I kind of understand what they mean by that, that this is the way that it is. You know, this is the way that it was. It did just peter out. It did ruin people's lives. So with my head, I totally agree with you that it was a very good film from that point of view. It didn't kid you, you know. Yeah, and, and, if, and if the film is... If I would argue the film is about obsession and about the, the destruction of these three men's mm. lives, that second half is when really that starts happening. Yeah. And... It is clear in that last hour, even if you're not that engaged in it, you can see yeah. everything crumbling down around them. So you're saying that David Finch was trying to ruin my life too. Is that what you're saying? No, I don't. I don't. Literally, my brain was dribbling out of my ear after two and a half hours. But no, I take the point. that It, um, it does help that feeling of elongation and lack of resolution. Yes. It, it, if the movie had given you uh, a definitive ending, had tried to make yeah. some supposition about what had happened... I think you would hate it even more. Yeah, like, you couldn't would. stand it. And I already don't like the final scene of the movie, which yes. seems too much of a stamp of an answer. Well, they sort of suggest a killer. So let's talk about that one, because that's one of my other objections. About true crime in general, it just seems to me, because it's all over the place, true crime, isn't it? As a podcaster, true crime falls into the history section, OK? And true crime dominates the history section, actually. Um and it seems to be, I feel slightly uncomfortable about it. At the end of this movie, they don't exactly say, look, it was this one, but there's a very strong implication. And that seems to me to be a little bit outrageous. This guy isn't, it's kind of condemned by public opinion rather than a court of law, aren't they? Yes. I didn't like that. And that's the thing I don't like about true crime. And also it feels a little bit voyeuristic. Um, but maybe that's just me. You know, what the hell? So I think it depends how you want to look into it, because I do think it is important to challenge Robert Graysmith. Mm. So I still don't like this final scene. I do agree that you can raise who the main suspects are because if you are trying to be relatively honest mm. and open about that, if the if the police genuinely have this person as their number one suspect or their number two suspect and you are doing the story slightly from Robert Graysmith's interpretations and his real life events and if if you're actually studying the descent that he went through and the struggle and the he made a lot of questionable decisions. I do not mm. like him as a narrator. And in reading his book, it's it's too much about him. For example, he started going to the place that this man worked and getting and trying himself and then getting friends to go in to attempt to get this man's right. fingerprints, DNA, handwriting to incriminate him and prove that he was the killer. Yeah. If this man was innocent, then that's completely outrageous. Yeah. And he would do this multiple times. It wouldn't surprise me if he was breaking into people's homes, trying to like take the evidence because he has to catch this killer. Yeah. Which I think you can kind of understand why somebody would want yeah. to do that, but for, it, yeah, it from seems a neutral perspective, be, yeah. it's confusing. And and it's very, it just seems to me, I mean, I think we'd probably leave it there, I take your point, but it just seems to me that there is a great danger with all this true crime, that there are real people at the end of it. And okay, when it's 100 years ago, well, maybe fine, but even then there are descendants. I think it's a bit questionable. Anyway. I think the final scene, I think he does it, I think they... they they finger the guy that they think is the, the killer yeah. because they need to give some something to the audience. Mm. They don't just want to leave it with no answer. Yeah. So they want you to walk away from the movie thinking that it was him, right. they just didn't catch him. Okay. That's how Robert Gra Robert Graysmith is 100% convinced that he is the Zodiac. So if you're going through his line of thinking, that makes sense. I think it's I think it's a 
a kind of a cowardly move from the filmmakers, but I do kind of understand after two hours, 40 minutes, if you don't give them something, they might mm. revolt. Yeah, indeed. So, so the other thing, another sort of trivial uh, objection to film was, can Robert Downey Jr. be anything other than Robert Downey Jr.? He can to some extent. If you, There are movies of his where he is different, especially when he was younger, where he plays different roles. He's definitely changed ever since Iron Man came yeah. out. That really has... Uh, altered his career a little bit, like Pirates of the Caribbean changed Johnny Depp. But I, <laughs> yes. I do think that Johnny Depp did. Millie showed us Gilbert Grape. That was a great movie with Johnny Depp. Anyway, sorry, we're I, segueing into. I do think though that in this movie it works. It doesn't feel like he doesn't fit in the film. No, that's true. He actually does work perfectly. He was their number one reporter at the time. It does work. I, I totally agree with you. Yeah, he works really well as Paul yeah. Lavery. And actually, they don't give you enough time. His fall from grace mm. is very dramatic. Right. His death from like emphysema or whatever, some years afterwards. His journey, if you take maybe the highest paid, most glamorous possibly of the three of them, uh, in terms of the way that he lives his life, maybe in real life, and everything's happened to him, then... It seems weird that he mm. is gone from the movie soon. He kind of fades out a little bit rather than being... They could have made more of that, actually. And I think the other thing is it works. If you've got two relatively mm. mild-mannered characters, it makes sense to have one yeah. slightly egotistical, yeah. um, bigger, bolder character. And it's interesting to see him caught up mm. in the same problem, but a- approaching it from a slightly a different, different way, yeah. way. That is interesting. And you're right, they work really well together, these three, don't they? But Paul Avery, in real life, he spoke about the Zodiac and challenged him like on in interviews, mm. on television, and that was why he got contacted. So you probably need a bold performer right. because the man in real life actually faced off against him and then felt that he'd been targeted and actually felt unsafe because right. the Zodiac seemingly came after him with messages, letters, etc. This man is, has never been caught, nobody knows what it looks like. The, I think the fear was quite real, um, and he was bold enough to kind of go out there at the beginning or stupid enough, right. and start kind of arguing with him and challenging him and get him to kind of draw him out. Mm. So, yes, he's very Robert Downey Jr., right. but I think it works. It does work. I mean, I, I agree with that, yeah. But Did you like it more than you thought um, going in? I didn't have many preconceptions, actually. Uh, I liked it about as much as I thought I would. Did you learn about the case? And I don't mean... I didn't learn about the, the case. Evidence. I'm not sure I necessarily wanted to know about the case. So I don't have that interest, actually, in in the mystery of true crime unsolved. I, it means n- almost nothing to me. So the fact that, um, you know, I didn't burn your DVD is actually something of a triumph. Appreciated. Because I, <laughs> I don't have any of that interest. I don't care. Um, and actually, there's a little bit of me, because I'm a deeply compliant person, there's a little bit of me which says, look, what is it all about all these amateurs? thinking that with only half of the story, they dare to make this supposition that they found the killer. If I had made written the Mark Ruffalo character, I'd have had him telling them to just go and do something else a bit more than he does. Although he does a bit of that, actually. It's got to take quite a lot of it. Um, and that's one other thing about the true crime thing, that in a very undemocratic way, I find a bit irritating. I, you know. But, what, but what's interesting about this is that a police officer, the definition of the law gets so wrapped up in the case that A, he has to be removed from right. it, slash has to take himself off it so many years down the line. The desire to know, he's still haunted by it. The yeah. desire to know is so overwhelming that he is going to give the reins to amateur detectives, that he's mm. going to listen to every possible yeah. bit of evidence he can. By the end, you're grabbing at straws. Mm. And I still think that there's 
you can gain something from mm. looking into that, thinking size, about that, yeah. viewing it from a different yeah, light, seeing true. all these characters kind of not the journalists who can't do the investigating, the police mm. who can't crack the crime. It is as an everyman watching, you do feel the you are Robert Graysmith, right. the amateur detective, and there are hundreds of thousands of people who are investigating this unsolved crime right now as we speak mm. online they have all the evidence i was even reading when it ended up right. on a website that there are people who live all around the world japan england everything who know the city layout of san francisco good lord to the street every single right. street they know everything about it more than someone and they've never been there and they know it more than people who live in the city right, now really scaring me this because, is why i don't like real true crime stuff because they study the maps of the city to try and figure it out Right. They study and learn everything they can and they get all this information and then they discuss as communities to try and solve it. Right. It's obviously unusual and I couldn't and, do it, but I, I right. do feel I do feel that draw, that, that desire to know, that desire to have an answer. Yeah. There's still a reason that a number of these unsolved crimes still draw us in now, hundreds yeah. of years later. Or any mystery that we have. We're still trying to figure out the pyramids and various things. Like we still want to know. Yes. And the more it eludes us the more we become obsessed yeah, with it. I accept. I, mean, I accept if it's a, a historical question, for example, that I feel like feel the same way. You know, I really want to know what the motivation of Thomas More was, you know, what was inside his head when he did X, Y, and Z. So I can understand that. So fine. So historically accurate? I'm going to say yes. But obviously we have to consider the fact that if the film is based off of Robert Graysmith's investigation and his beliefs, that if Robert Graysmith as right. the source is incorrect on anything or bias that that probably carries through to the So movie. you don't think David Fincher would have corrected it through, you know, having other advisors and consultants on the film? I don't <clears> know. <throat> All that I know is, if okay, if you start taking it from a very basic level, the clothes that everybody wears is yes. the clothes that they wore. The locations where the murders happened is the exact location where it happened. Right. They stand on the spot where they die, and then they film it there, in the clothes that they wore on the day. They use the dialogue from what happened in those scenes, mm. recounted by the survivors directly. So I've watched interviews where the survivors are on the set of the movie, mm. discussing with everybody, positioning people, explaining how it happened, talking it through, watching it back sometime later, and being overwhelmed by how accurate it feels to them from right. their perspective. The lake scene, for example, the survivor, he said that's exactly how it was from his perspective. And as soon as he can no longer recount what's happening, mm. they cut away. Right. They don't try to fill you in the right. gaps okay. with what's not needed. Yeah. I think that's partly because the movie's trying to move quite quickly. It's not glamorising the murders, the yeah. deaths. It doesn't need them. It's not about them. It's about the yeah. struggle. So it moves on. But the city itself is an exact replica of the city at the time. Right. They CGI out all the modern buildings. They CGI right. in all the old buildings. They used all the photos from the time to make the city... 100% accurate as much as I know for the time and considering that it spans like 10 years 15 years they continue to change the, the city skyline throughout right. the movie and you can see them doing it in post-production they created sets that were accurate for the time they obviously use all the old letters they use I believe the recordings of his voice I'm assuming they're not made up if you if I was to show you and I can do it later the footage of the news mm. television show it looks completely recreated right. the dialogue is exactly what he right. said the actors look really close to the people playing. Their costumes are the same. The accounts feel very genuine. Mm. And as much as possible, I think that, at least for the first hour and a half probably, the actual like fact side of things is very accurate. 
When you get into the second half of the mm. movie, when it starts to be, when they're starting to unravel a lot of things, I do believe all of that evidence does exist. The question is, is it related to the Zodiac or not? Oh, yeah. I see. They don't I know for sure that this bit of evidence they've collected is a hoax or... So, um, so when you're yeah. reading the book, he fills the book with every possible right. piece of evidence that could be related to the Zodiac. And I mean, you'll get a two-sentence bit on mm. May 20th, 1973, that says, for example, a man was seen following this woman into the woods... Right on this date or whatever and when you're covering such a large portion of Mm. California so many years apart and the Zodiac hasn't been seen for multiple years I mean literally any crime that involves murder or Mm. or any of the related issues is being looked at and being included every time somebody acts a little bit strange it's included in the book so I think there's quite a lot of scenes which in the film some of the suspects and stuff they're just people grabbing straws and I think they're included to not be accurate if that makes sense so historically I think the movie is relatively that a good example, though, is to include this. There's a scene towards the end of the movie where he's in a house, and it's very tense. It's a great scene. I love this scene. Yes, that did happen from Robert Graysmith's oh, that's a good, That's a good scene. I don't remember what you're thinking of it. But in that scene, when you read it from Robert's perspective in his yeah. book, there is no tension. There is no right. fear. He is not running from the house. He does hear footsteps. Right. He does go into the basement. Yeah. There is the suggestion that the handwriting is this other person. Right. But... He continues to meet this man multiple times afterwards. Oh, that's interesting. So they, they did cheat there, because I was feeling, I was thinking Silence of the Lambs. I was thinking Tooth Fairy. I was, you know, I was there. That, that moment good, is yeah. clearly done for a film. It did happen, but they've changed it for the film, and mm. they've altered the feeling that it gives you. I think we can never forget that they are making a film. And a lot of these scenes, they probably play out in a similar way, but with just none of the atmosphere, none of the tension. Yeah, they've changed some of the... They I, really ratchet the tension up when they want to. Yeah. When Paul gotta, Avery's going into like an abandoned warehouse, yeah. they ratchet the tension up, even though he just goes in and just nobody's there. Yeah. This kind of thing is happening. They make you feel yeah. worried. You've got to accept a film is there to entertain, isn't it? But it kind of feels believable. And the the context, you know, the how it looks, how the people talk, how they dress, the cars, all the rest of it is wonderful. I mean, it all feels very, very authentic indeed. So, you know, from my, my two penneth in that is it felt incredibly accurate from a as a non-professional. So, yeah. And I would argue, it, it, it took place, what, in the 70s? So you've got all the newspaper stories. You've yeah. got all the clippings. They're there. You can just reproduce them. You can literally just get them exactly from the yeah. newspaper at the time. It's all documented. And but we they, have but all nonetheless, people might have cheated at yes, uh, ease or cost or whatever. And but I do think that just it. adds to a believability. Yeah. So I think it is important that there will be times in that movie when it is inaccurate. Yeah. And you get lulled in and you believe it because you've believed everything else prior. Yeah. So I do think you should question it. And I think that we should question Robert Graysmith. And I know some people have. Mm. And they suggest that he doesn't even have the right suspect. Right. But I'm not going to worry too much about that. As long as I, under- as long as I question him as yeah. a source... I think the movie questions him enough that it will give you an answer, but it knows it's giving you his answer. And it's not giving you the answer. That if a documentary gave you this answer, you'd be a little bit more peeved. Right. Knowing that an obsessive man who yes. loses his family thinks it's this guy means that you can go, well, he thinks it's him. And it's, right. it's plausible. There is evidence there to think about. So right. let's consider it. So I think we've come to marking point. Unless yes, yes. No, you really want to say about the, the movie? No, no, all I'll say is when we're weighing up whether it's you know historical yeah. versus entertainment, yeah. there was a great quote from The Guardian which said, a perfect example of how an historical movie can be accurate, balanced in opinion, and a gripping thriller all at the same time. Right. That, that pretty much sums up how I feel. Yeah, I think I'd it. sum up two bits. I'd agree with two of those bits. But okay, so uh, we would say we're going to mark its quality as a film out of ten. What, what are you going to give it? Uh, eight. Eight. Okay, I'm going to give it 
six. Second historical accuracy? I don't know. I, I, maybe I'll go with eight again. I think I'd go along with you with, with eight and maybe even nine. I mean, how much more exactly. historical accuracy yeah. can you get? You know, it's... It is as it is. You the know, I feel, I'd almost give it 10. Because, yeah, exactly. And actually, you know, if the movie knows that some of its facts are not true, but they're the facts that he believes, yeah. then they can be Indeed, wrong as long as they're really accurate to him. And if yes. it's coming from his book and he believes it, then that's 100% It's reproducing what Graysmith thought, yeah. Uh, an interesting thing is, Graysmith said in an interview, he didn't know he was obsessive until he watched the film and he saw how he was portrayed. And he asked people that he knew from the well, time. Right? He asked people, was I like that? And they said yes. Right. So we should all have films made about us. And Jake Gyllenhaal can play us. And Jake, oh yes. Jake Gyllenhaal go for Mark Ruffalo, you personally. so much about yourself, David. <laughs> oh my God. Right, that's a good time to, to stop it. So there we are. We've set a bit of a high standard, actually, because we're marking it high, relatively high in terms of quality of film and very high in terms of accuracy. So uh, thank you very much for listening, everybody. Don't forget to go along to the website, thehistoryofengland.co.uk, where we will give you a link. The podcast is available, obviously, in all good podcast shops, iTunes, Acast, and so on. And come along to the Facebook group for the History of England, which I'll put a link on the website. Come and tell us what you think. Come and tell us whether we've graded it correctly. And just, you know, shout at us, essentially. And we will be back in two weeks' time with Master and Commander. Okay, so that's goodbye from me. And, and goodbye from me. And goodbye from all. Okay, cheers. Bye-bye. Are you not entertained? Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.